Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA as a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler... How much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary... They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry... We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, show me in a courtroom how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing on the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th, or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now. M-S-W Media. Hello, and welcome to the Daily Beans for Wednesday, January 24th, 2024. Today, we have some early kind of exit polling in the New Hampshire primary. Trump loses an appeal to his D.C. gag order. Donors are suing no labels over a bait and switch scheme. A House representative has written a letter to Merrick Garland to investigate the deep fake Biden robocalls in New Hampshire. A Trump aide who told police on 1-6 to hang themselves has left the Trump campaign. Floridians could have gotten food assistance for kids, but the state said no. U.S. inflation is set to fade in 2024 as goods prices keep falling. GOP Rep Stauber is touting infrastructure projects he voted against. Turkey's parliament has ratified Sweden's NATO membership. And an audio recording reveals the moment that a senior Republican figure tried to bribe Carrie Lake to not run for Senate. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Hey, Dana. Happy Wednesday. How are you today? I am good. That last line in the introduction just makes me laugh. We'll pay you not to run for Senate. <laughs> That's how bad you're going to do <laughs> against good old Ruben Gallego, who is running on the Democratic ticket. And I think Kirsten Sinema is running as an independent. 
Right. We have a, a, a lot of news to get to today, obviously. Our friend Dave Ehrenberg is going to be here later in the show to discuss some legal stuff. Uh, he is the DA, uh, state DA in, in Palm Beach County. Still no D.C. Circuit decision on Trump's absolute immunity bid. It's been over two weeks now, and every day that goes by is another day that that trial is going to be pushed back. Uh, Trump is screaming on social media today about Democrats voting in the New Hampshire primary. Um, you can't vote in the New Hampshire Republican primary if you're a registered Democrat. And of course, uh, Margot Robbie and Greta Gerwig were snubbed at the Oscars. Um, I which mean, blows just my the mind. firestorm. Yeah, the firestorm on Twitter and social media uh, uh, justified. I think what's bothering me the most is when people come in and they're like, these are all the reasons they shouldn't have been nominated. Not one of them is telling me why Ryan Gosling actually was. I watched the movie and I'm just, it's just unbelievable. It's sort of the whole premise of the movie that the two women <laughs> didn't get nominated and the guy did. And, and listen, I thought Ryan was fabulous. I thought Margot was fabulous. Greta should have been nominated for director. The thing got eight nominations, including Best Picture. My God. And, and you know, it, it. I'm waiting for it to be a bit. Yeah. You know, like I'm waiting for them at the Oscars to be like, we're just kidding. I mean, come on. The patriarchy isn't just about horses. You know, like I'm, I'm waiting for it to be a bit. Yeah, it's just, it's unfortunate, but, um, you know, she she's also laughing all the way to the bank, too. <laughs> Very true. But not to take away from um, Ferrero's uh, nom and, and Absolutely. Course, Gosling's nom, but like, come on. Um, yeah. It's just kind of a little too on the nose um, for the absolute, you know, billion-dollar blockbuster film. Yeah. Uh, so New Hampshire, voters are going to the polls in New Hampshire. Dixville Notch, which votes at midnight, um, 100% of the votes went to Nikki Haley. Zero went to Donald Trump. That There's six people who vote in Dixville Notch, by the way. <laughs> Um, the polls are closing as we start this recording. So we'll check back during the good news segment to see what's up. But I don't think we're going to get a lot of substantial returns until a little bit later on in the evening when the most populated areas of New Hampshire, their their polls close in an hour. So, But early polling shows a lot of folks that, you know, and I, when I say early polling, I mean the exit polling, mm -hmm. are showing that a lot of folks aren't MAGA. Like, it it's not looking too good. I mean, I think Trump is going to win, but I don't think by the large margins that were predicted in the polls, something like uh, 18 points or more. Um, we'll have to see. Uh, but um, to talk a little bit about some of the exit polling, and, and keep in mind, there's three waves of exit polling. This is just the first wave. 64% um, say they're not part of the, the MAGA movement. 64% of Republicans. 47% uh, say Trump isn't fit to be president if he's convicted. 45% say immigrants should have a chance for legal status. That number surprised me. 55% said they'd be satisfied if Haley won the nomination. 47% identify as Republicans, where 53% identify as Dems or independent. And not like registered, just identified. And this is mm -hmm. the big number, right? Because, uh, and I know they've been pointing this out all day on like MSNBC and CNN, 8% uh, of the voters identify as Democratic and the number that number is usually like two percent, mm. maybe maybe three, and forty-seven less than half of the republic people voting in the Republican primary 
identify as Republicans, less than half. Um, now, in 2016, 55% identified as, as Republicans. Now, 24% say they're very conservative. 37% say they're moderate or liberal. Uh, in a GOP primary, and in yeah. 2016, it was only 29% that said they were moderate or liberal. So that's up eight points. So we're going to see what happens. Um, I, I think Trump will win, but I don't think he'll win by the large margins, as I said, that the polling has been showing. Yeah. And even if he does, these numbers don't look great for the actual presidential election in November. No. So, right. Yeah. They do look at least for bad. Trump. But there's always Dixville Notch. You know, <laughs> I think somebody tweeted, as goes Dixville Notch, as goes Dixville Notch. Uh, so it's about, that's about the long and short of it. And speaking of long and short, we have a lot of quick hits. And to make a long story short, too late. All right. First up, the D.C. Circuit Court has denied Donald Trump's bid for a rehearing on Bonk, which means of the entire panel of the Circuit Court, of his appeal of the limited gag order issued by Judge Chutkin against Donald Trump. And they've denied Trump's request for a stay while he appeals it to the Supreme Court. This is the gag order, remember, not the absolute immunity motion. We don't have the immunity ruling yet. And I'll talk to Dave Ehrenberg later about both. All right. Thank you, G. And U.S. inflation is set to further recede in 2024, ending the year near the Federal Reserve's 2% target as economic disruptions from the pandemic fade further and prices of some goods even decline. The downdraft should keep the U.S. central bank firmly on course for lower interest rates, which cuts expected uh, to come as soon as March. President Joe Biden, for his part, may have a harder time capitalizing politically on the campaign trail, especially if lower inflation comes alongside a broader slowdown in the economy. Yeah. Okay. That whole last line doesn't make any sense. Nope. Considering, <laughs> considering the news. It was bizarre. Uh, I think that came from, I think that came from Bloomberg. Yeah. It didn't come from us. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> I'm just putting that out there. Also, Turkey's parliament ratified Sweden's long stalled accession to NATO on Tuesday. Following Turkey's ratification, Hungary remains to be the sole holdout standing before Sweden's accession to the transatlantic alliance. So congrats, Sweden, on getting Turkey's ratification. We're just waiting on you, Viktor Orban. Let's do it. All right. Then uh, Rep. Joseph Morell. Is it Morell or Morelli? I think it's Morell. All right. Good. Had it right the first time. Joseph Morell, who's a Democrat in New York, he sent a letter to the Justice Department, to the DOJ on Monday, calling for an investigation into a robocall using an imitation of President Joe Biden's voice. We covered this yesterday in the podcast and generating an artificial intelligence, AI, urging voters not to show up in New Hampshire's Tuesday primary. Quote, if Congress can strengthen law enforcement's ability to detect and prevent AI-based attempts to subvert our elections, we look forward to working with you to identify and achieve any meaningful and well-defined standards to protect our democracy. That's from the representative. Uh, the DOJ confirmed it had received Morell's letter, but it declined to comment further. Yeah, I hope they investigate, and I hope that this whoever perpetrated these calls is indicted. Me too. Uh, New Hampshire Attorney General is also investigating, just so you know. And the deputy director of Donald Trump's 2024 campaign in New Hampshire, Dylan Quattrucci, has left the campaign, according to one of Trump's senior aides. Quattrucci was near the Capitol on January 6th. Uh, and in August, NBC News reported that video of Quattrucci showed him telling police officers to hang themselves during the riot, during the insurrection. There is no evidence that he entered the building, but Trump advisor Chris Lasivita told NBC News he quit. So he quit. Quattrici has not yet responded to a request for comment from NBC, but 
he out. So that's fine. Bye. 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 (laughs) New Hampshire guy. I guess, you know, it's not really needed anymore. Anyway, we have a lot more news to get to. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. First up from Steve Bannon. He writes for the Matto blog at MSNBC. Around this time two years ago, Republican rep Pete Stauber generated some unwelcome headlines. The Minnesotan was celebrating some local federal grants from Democratic legislation that he'd voted against, sparking hypocrisy accusations. And this week, it happened again. Stauber issued a press release roughly 24 hours ago, touting a billion-dollar investment to replace the Blatnick Bridge, which connects Minnesota and Wisconsin. The statement included this quote from the congressman. The Blatnick Bridge is aging, and its restoration is essential to ensuring continued economic success, which is why I have long fought for these funds. (laughs) Securing the money to help replace this bridge has been a top priority for both states, and I'm proud to have worked with my Minnesota and Wisconsin congressional colleagues to secure this critical investment. I look forward to seeing this project benefit countless industries, employers, healthcare patients, commuters, and tourists for years to come. On social media, Stauber added that he was proud to announce the investment, which he described as a huge win for his district and his constituents. (laughs) There was, however, one key detail he neglected to mention. The investment in the Blatnick Bridge came by way of the bipartisan infrastructure law that President Joe Biden signed, and which Stauber voted against. It was that point uh, that Tim Waltz, Minnesota's Democratic governor, felt compelled to note, reminding the public that Stauber, quote, voted against every screw, steel beam, and concrete pier in this bridge. And he added, luckily, Biden worked with Stauber's colleagues and got it done without him. Nice. Unquote. <laughs> the governor was arguably understating matters. The Republican not only voted against the infrastructure package, he issued a written statement saying, I will not be complicit in paving a destructive and irreversible path towards socialism. <laughs> mm, but I helped pave the bridge. No. Uh, what? Fuck. Okay. So as we've discussed, and this is Benin continuing to write from out of blog, when it comes to Republicans seeking credit for infrastructure investments, they opposed. There are degrees and nuances. For as long as there's been a Congress, there have been lawmakers seeking federal funds for their states and districts, even when those resources come from bills they vote against. The thinking behind appeals is obvious. They might have opposed the legislation, but if the government's going to make the investment anyway, these members figure they might as well make the case for directing some of those funds to their own constituents. It's not unsympathetic to this argument. It's certainly rooted in the American tradition, and Stauber really did make the case for spending after the bill he opposed became law. But the details matter. The Minnesotan saw the bipartisan bill as an example of socialism. Soon after, he apparently concluded that funding from the infrastructure package would nevertheless improve the economy in his district and gave the local community a boost, or give the local community a boost, I should say. Several other GOP members said it and did the same exact thing. It'd be one thing for Republicans to make the case for their constituents that they deserve the fair share of a larger federal pie, but it's something else when Republicans condemn it as socialism, only to argue soon afterward that socialism would work wonders in their districts. (laughs) Biden had a little fun at the GOP's expense during remarks at an automobile plant in October of 2022, saying to laughter, I didn't know there were that many socialist Republicans. He added, folks, look, you can't make this stuff up. I've got to say I was surprised to see so many socialists in the Republican caucus. 
the the quote is every bit as applicable now as it was at the time. He's Everybody got a good sense of humor. Please subscribe to Steve Bannon over at uh, Matto Blog. It's it's he he's such a great writer. Thank you, AG. This one's from Alyssa Johnson at the Miami Herald. Over the summer, needy families around the country will receive debit cards from the federal government to help feed hungry kids but not in Florida, where the state opted out of a new federal program to provide grocery store money for low-income families. Under the program called Summer EBT, families would have, uh, they would have been uh, able to apply to receive $120 for each eligible child. Congress approved the program in December of 2022 to help feed children who receive free and reduced price lunches at school during the summer months when many campuses are closed or access is limited. Well, the deadline to apply was January 1. Florida was one of 15 states that chose not to participate. Yep, the state's disinterested means the families of an estimated 2.1 million children who have been eligible for the program won't receive the additional help paying for grocery bills at a time when inflation continues to drive up food prices. In Florida, Miami, Tampa, they continue to see the highest rates of inflation in the country, with prices on average up more than 5% compared to last year. While prices aren't increasing as quickly as they were 18 months ago, Cindy Huddleston, a senior policy analyst at the Florida Policy Institute, said that inflation continues to make it harder for low-income families to feed everyone in their household. Quote, people are facing really increased prices at the grocery stores and uh, have not really waned much in the last few months. So getting food on the table can be a struggle for a lot of families. Again, that was from Huddleston. When asked why the state opted out of the program, Governor Ron DeSantis' team forwarded the request for comment to Mallory McManus. That's a spokeswoman for the Department of Children and Families. Neither office gave a response. <laughs> yep. Go ahead and push that buck. Other Republican states, like Florida, have decided not to participate in summer EBT. Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds, a close ally of DeSantis, is among those who rejected funds from the program, which she criticized for not having, quote, Strong nutrition focus. I know. Other governors raised concerns about the program's administrative costs, saying the program amounted to, quote, welfare, Mm. which is so stay than racism. Ugh, it's just so gross. Okay. Okay. So when you hear a Republican, especially a Florida one, complain about inflation, Mm -hmm. ask them why. They didn't get their free money from the government to feed their kids. And oh, and when they say they're pro-life. Oh, yeah. Ask them about that. Oh, just stunning. Uh, Well, I mean, I guess not every Republican is (laughs) pro-socialism. All right, next up. This is from the Daily Mail. So grain of salt. I normally would not cite the Daily Mail. But there apparently is audio. Now, an audio recording obtained by Daily Mail reveals the extraordinary moment when what appears to be Arizona's top Republican official tried to bribe populist firebrand Carrie Lake not to run in the state's Senate race. I wouldn't probably call her that, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff DeWitt, 51, chair of the Arizona GOP, can be heard asking Lake, a close ally of Trump, to name her price to stay out of politics for two years, just two years. <laughs> Quote, there are very powerful people who want to keep you out, he tells her in a convert. Yeah, the voters. They're mm-hmm. called the fucking voters. And they did. Uh, DeWitt tells Lake, who's 54, one of the most public faces of the former president's MAGA movement, and a woman frequently spoken of as a 2024 vice presidential pick, 
that he thinks Trump will lose and it's time to make way for someone else. So here's a reasonable Republican saying, y'all have hitched your star to a fucking loser. Yep. Could you go away? We'll pay you. Now, after asking her not to mention the conversation to anyone, he makes his first offer. Quote, so the ask I got today from back east was, is there any companies out there or something that could just put her on the payroll to keep her out? Oh, my God. Lake reacts with indignation. This is about defeating Trump. And I think that's bad, a bad, bad thing for our country, she said. Now, later, DeWitt, who was a chief operating officer on Trump's 2020 campaign, frames it a little differently. Just say, is there a number at which? <laughs> and then Carrie cuts in, I can be bought. That's what it's about. And he says, you can take a pause for a couple years, go right back to what you're doing, which is bootlicking. And Lake repeatedly rebuffs him and says she won't do it for a billion dollars. Oh, this she would about have done it for a billion dollars, by the way. <laughs> of course she would. This isn't about money. It's about our country, she says. Two sources confirmed DeWitt's identity as the speaker. Now, he and his press secretary didn't respond to multiple requests for comment. Neither did Carrie Lake. And at the time of their conversation, Lake was publicly mulling a run for the Senate. Lake revealed the approach days after it happened, by the way. A couple days after this conversation was recorded... She used an appear appearance at conservative political the CPAC, Conservative Political Action Conference, to describe how someone had shown up at her door. They called me before and said, I gotta talk to you in person. It can't be done on the phone, she said. She described being asked to name her price for getting out of politics for two years. So it sounds like maybe Carrie Lake was wearing a wire. I think she's probably the one that recorded the conversation. That is so funny. I guess she's got one brain cell in there. <laughs> so again, grain of salt. But the, the Arizona Republicans are like, could you please just go away? <laughs> <laughs> I would love it if she went away as well. <laughs> All right. Thank you, A.G., for that. Last in this segment, this is from Raw Story. Two wealthy real estate moguls are suing the centrist group No Labels over an alleged, quote, bait and switch scheme involving political donations. Dudless and Jonathan Durst, who are cousins and serve respectively as chairman and president of the Durst organization, accuse the outfit of seeking donations as a bipartisan governing coalition and then making moves to fund a third party presidential campaign. That was reported by The New York Times. Quote, this case seeks to hold no labels accountable for the consequences of its misguided actions that have left its original benefactors like the Durst feeling bewildered, betrayed, and outraged. That's what the suit says. No labels has shifted seismically from its original mission and its donors like the Durst who believe in the mission and financially supported it should not have to stand idly by, end quote. And they went on to say, this is again from the lawsuit. That is because in a presidential election, anyone who votes for a third party candidate votes on, uh, on neither side. That's what the suit said and, and ended with. Indeed, no party candidate has ever won a presidential election or even come close to doing so. What did they think? I know. No, no, no labels was. Jeez. Did they think it was no labels for one of the other parties? Um, who knows what some of these people are thinking? They might have been called like, we aren't affiliated with any political party. And then someone would sue them for saying that they're, yeah. you know, also that party. was too long for a bumper sticker. Yeah. The suit filed in the New York State Supreme Court seeks damages and reimbursements for $145,000 made years ago. Quote, the Zerts agreed to fund no labels because it committed to promote bipartisanship and bridge the political divide said their attorney, Randy Mastro, and went on to say they never imagined at the time that no labels would pivot to becoming the organization behind a 
quixotic third-party candidacy that could skew the most consequential presidential election of our lifetime. The dirts believe they were sold a bill of goods and they want no part of it. A spokesperson for No Labels did not immediately respond to a request for comment, but the group has been dogged by complaints for the past few years by donors and others who say the group has turned into something other than its original mission. Really shocking. It has not. It is the same. It's the same. What did... We thought it was going to be bipartisan. Turns out they want to do a third party. Uh, Like, what in the F are you... I am so confused by this. And no, you're, but I mean, hey, good, good on you for trying to sue him. You're not going to get your money back. No, you're just not. Um, So put some beans on that. All right, everybody. We're going to be right back with Dave Ehrenberg, my good friend. And then after that, we've got the good news. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back. After these messages, we'll be right back. Yeah. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I am happy to be joined today by my good friend. He's the DA down in West, or excuse me, Palm Beach County. And uh, I always like West Palm Beach is in my head all the time because of what's happening in Mar-a-Lago. But Palm Beach County DA down in Florida, Dave Ehrenberg. Hey, Dave, how's it going? It's great to be with you, AG. And I am indeed in West Palm Beach. See, I knew it. You're in the seat. Is that the county seat? It is. Correct. Uh Uh-huh. Well, uh, how exciting for you to be so close to Mar-a-Lago. It must be a thrill. I can't, I can't imagine. <laughs> Mar-a-Lago is across the bridge, a different uh, zip code and different world over there in Palm Beach from West Palm Beach. Good. Good. I'm glad to hear it. Do you ever get like, nope, I'm in a different zip code. Uh, don't associate <laughs> me with that uh, that d- specific golf club. Um, but I wanted to talk to you a little, a little bit about Trump legal stuff because uh, a couple things have happened and we're still waiting for some other things to happen. Uh, namely, he was denied an en banc rehearing of his appeal of the limited gag order issued by Judge Chutkin in the D.C. trial. Uh, but, you know, the case brought by Jack Smith in D.C., the federal one, one of the two. The other one is down by across the bridge in a different zip code from from where you live and where you're sitting. But I I was happy that that this was denied and the ask for an emergency administrative stay pending appeal for pendency of appeal was also denied. This isn't the one we've been waiting for, uh, but it's still working its way up through the courts. Tell, tell me, what does per curiam mean? Because this was denied per curiam. I saw that there and, and I think that that might be important. Well, per curiam essentially means it, it was uh, the decision uh, was unanimous agreement. There was a decision that uh, was an easy one that the court didn't even have a signed opinion. It was like the whole court says, hey, you're not going to get the en banc review, meaning a review by the entire circuit. To me, the only question is, Allison, is why did it take so long? I mean, this was never a hard case when it comes to a gag order. Gag orders are imposed all the time on criminal defendants. Every time someone is at first appearance here in Palm Beach County, they're told that you can't uh, talk to the victim. You can't uh, talk to witnesses. So there are limits on your First Amendment rights as a criminal defendant, even when you're running for president. And this gag order that was imposed by Judge Chutkin at the behest of Jack Smith is also limited. So I think this is an easy one. And yet it only now we finally find out that the appellate circuit denied the en banc review and did it unanimously in a per curiam opinion. 
And now Trump will probably seek review at the Supreme Court because this furthers his legal strategy of delay, delay, delay. Right. And delay on the on the limited gag order, or at least trying to get it put back on or, you know, on a stay. So it's like not in effect. But I, I thought it was, you know, interesting to me that, you know, the speed or or lack thereof with this particular case, because, I mean, the three judge panel uh, of the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals that heard this case actually narrowed the scope of the already narrowed Correct. limited gag order uh, by saying we're not going to include Jack Smith in this one. So you can go out and call Jack Smith a deranged thug uh, if you'd like. And so maybe I'm wondering maybe, you know, I mean, it was denied by everybody. Not one single person voted for a rehearing on Bonk, not even the Trump appointees, which include like Katzis and Rao. But, you know, like you said, it's it shouldn't have taken that long unless maybe they were thinking about the the more narrowly tailored than even before narrowly tailored gag order because my whole confusion is judges issue full on gag orders where you can't talk right. about the case at all and now they're arguing over whether or not you can specifically call Jack Smith a thug which you can but not his wife you can't talk about his wife but him yet like they even like cut it up a little bit more i thought that that was weird because most gag orders are just full on gag orders. They aren't narrowly limited. And and so like, why, first of all, are we arguing over the, the crumbs of this gag order and then taking so long to, to uh, uphold it and not administratively stay it or at least deny an en banc rehearing? It just didn't make sense to me. Yeah, this is why I believe that Donald Trump is being treated differently than other <laughs> criminal defendants, like his supporters say, but not like uh, his supporters say, because he's being treated better. He's being treated better, and this is an example. Judge Chutkin issued this gag order. It was a limited gag order, and then when Trump appealed it to the appellate court, she stayed it. She said, all right, we're going to put it on hold, and then he starts trashing a key witness in the case, Mark Meadows, and then she reimposed it. So already he's getting more deference, and then you have the appellate court already limiting it, right? So now it's more limited than what any other criminal defendant did, and then it takes seemingly forever for them to deny the en banc review. I, I think that any other defendant, this would have been done a while ago. He would have had a much broader gag order. It would not have been stayed on appeal, and he'd be facing trial already. Unless maybe they had to talk Naomi Rao or Katzis out of dissenting or, you know, <laughs> or out of a vote for, for a rehearing on bonk. That's possible, by the way. I think, I think you're onto something. That may have been the one reason why it took as long as it did. Yeah, and talking about taking a long time, uh, it's been two weeks now, two weeks and a day since we had the arguments, the oral arguments for the absolute immunity uh, motion that that is being uh, contemplated now by the same court, the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, but perhaps not as easy a decision, not necessarily on the merits, but they spent a lot of time, particularly Judge Pan and Judge Henderson, Judge Pan being a Biden appointee, Judge Henderson being a GW appointee, on jurisdiction. And I kept thinking to myself, it seemed like Judge Pan wanted to just toss this right back to Judge Chutkin and say, we don't have any, uh, you know, uh, or we might have jurisdiction here. Whereas Judge Pan seemed that we that to, to argue or at least her questions kind of made it seem like she thought that there wasn't any jurisdiction here under a, under a case called Midland Asphalt. Right. Like immunity doesn't count. Right. We don't do interlocutory appeals for immunity. And you're you know, we remember the arguments where 
the, the Sauer, John Sauer, who's Trump's lawyer, like argued himself into a corner by admitting that there is no such thing as absolute immunity because he argued that a president can be criminally prosecuted if he's indicted and removed from office first. Mm-hmm. And so she's like, well, all your other arguments now fall away. Your separation of powers falls away. Your weird interpretation of Marbury versus Madison falls away. It's all gone. All we have to decide now is whether or not the impeachment judgment clause somehow uh, means that you can't be uh, criminally prosecuted, which you argued against in your second impeachment trial. So bring it on, like make me understand. So I, I'm trying to figure out if the super simple limited gag order took so long that perhaps it's not any kind of weird behind the scenes wrangling that's happening, uh, but maybe it just is, maybe they're just, I don't know, taking a long time. This is why Jack Smith tried to Bigfoot the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals and go straight to the Supreme Court because he saw the writing on the wall that these guys are very deliberative. And uh, as a legal matter, they're called slowpokes. That's a fancy legal phrase that we use. The opposite of the rocket docket. Right, exactly. They are slowpokes. They're the kind of drivers that annoy you by driving 55 in the left lane. Come on, keep up with the speed of traffic, (laughs) Circuit. Our democracy is at stake. And now we are waiting for them, even though they have expedited the appeal. They remember they one of the reasons why the Supreme Court denied intervening here is because the DC Circuit Court of Appeals said that they would expedite it. And yet expediting means we're still waiting for an obvious ruling. You can see where the three-judge panel is going. They're not giving absolute immunity here. Now, perhaps the question is whether they're going to deny jurisdiction altogether based on the Midland Asphalt case. Uh, which says if you have immunity, it's got to be specified. uh, And here it's vague whether he could get some presidential immunity because there's not absolute presidential immunity in the Constitution. So it's not specified in the law so clearly. So perhaps they don't have jurisdiction. So maybe that's what's catching them here and delaying matters. But regardless, our democracy is at stake. This is the one case that should be heard before the election. And the longer they wait, uh, the... A bigger question that will be whether the rule of law is ever upheld. Yeah. And I, you know, I speculated perhaps they're um, looking to establish what's called hypothetical jurisdiction under the hypothetical jurisdiction doctrine, which DOJ said, look, if you're going to just dismiss this on jurisdiction, I don't think that's proper. But if you're going to apply the hypothetical jurisdiction doctrine where you say, let's say we have jurisdiction because there's we have conflicting opinions among the judges about whether or not we have jurisdiction. Let's grant ourselves hypothetical uh, jurisdiction here and then rule on the merits. DOJ said that would be okay because we want a ruling on the merits here. We don't want to skip. N- neither party was arguing to have this dismissed on jurisdictional grounds. Right. It, it was a uh, it, it was a, a, a brief written by an outside group, an amicus brief. It wasn't yeah. done by the party. American oversight. Yeah, right. exactly. Right. And and there were a lot of jurisdictional questions. They spent about as much time on jurisdiction as they did on the merits. And and, and so I think if this were simply a meritorious uh, type of a situation, it, it might have been easier to, to come out with an opinion. But also, they're probably wanting to all be in agreement. Because at first, you know, you talked about the expedited, it was the court that called for the expedited briefing schedule except for Henderson. A G.W. Bush appointee Henderson would not have granted an expedited appeal on this. And so I, I don't know where she's at um, on on 
this particular, I mean, I kind of know where she is on jurisdiction because she said, well, the Supreme Court did call Midland Asphalt a suggestion. Uh, so, you know, I have a kind of an idea where she's at. But it, it, it seems to me like perhaps they're trying to craft something that they all agree on, something that can be easily denied to be reheard on banc and something that the Supreme Court might look at and say, we're not going to grant cert here. Right so that their ruling stands, but that they also decide on the merits. And that is, to me, in my head, what might be taking a little bit longer to craft. Because if you do give yourself hypothetical jurisdiction, you do have to write an opinion on the merits. And I think you're onto something there, because I do think the Supreme Court, when it denied uh, the cert, when it said, I'm not going to hear this case before the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals hears it, I think they did so knowing, number one, that the D.C. Circuit was expediting things. And number two, believing they were just going to deny cert uh, and, and not hear it when it came to them uh, as a matter of course. like they, I think Which is my going, dream scenario. Right. I think they are going to defer to the D.C. Circuit because I think they are. Uh, the D.C. Circuit is doing an expansive ruling that's going to address all these issues. And then the, the uh, stay will be lifted and it's game on for Judge Chutkin, which is why I still believe the D.C. case will be heard before the election. I think it'll be heard by June. But me too. Along we, wait, it's all right. So, uh, so you and I are on the same page. I think the Supreme Court ultimately is going to defer to the D.C. K, uh, circuit and not hear it themselves. Yeah, especially if they come up with a very solid ruling that they can all agree on, uh, whether it's jurisdictional or, or not. But I think they'll I think my my gut says they'll give themselves hypothetical jurisdiction, which the DOJ argued for, and then just toss this thing on its ass on the merits because it's ridiculous uh, on the merits. And then and then uh, SCOTUS won't have to weigh in. And if SCOTUS had granted the leapfrogging thing, the Bigfoot thing, we wouldn't be in a situation where we can have them denying cert um, in, in this uh, regular course uh, of court. So, you know, when everybody was like, boo, the Supreme Court hands a loss to Jack Smith, I was like, no, 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 no. This could be the first step of a four-step win right. uh, for Jack Smith. We can't have them deny cert and have them grant it before uh, the appellate court uh goes. So, We'll see what ends up happening, but um, I, I, I am refreshing Pacer furiously. <laughs> I love it. I love your show uh, because you somehow make Pacer sexy somehow, you know? <laughs> You're refreshing Pacer. Ooh, we're all sitting on Pacer. Remember when Pacer was a car, it was it was ugly, you know, and boring, but you somehow make it all fresh. And what a pile of shit. If somebody like if some like awesome youthful person came in and redesigned the Pacer website, uh, made it user friendly and, and made it awesome, I think people would be on there a lot more. Right. Well, it, it was designed by American Motors, if you can remember that. That was the, who designed the car, the Pacer, and probably designed the website. They're both equivalent. <laughs> can I add something about the Supreme Court? I think a reason why Jack Smith lost at the U.S. Supreme Court when he tried to get the Supreme Court to intervene is because... The Supreme Court wanted to know why. Why is it so extraordinary that we step in? We don't normally do it. And the answer is it's because we have an election and Trump is going to try to delay this past the elections. So we have to get this going. But Jack Smith and Merrick Garland are so scared about being accused of being political that he didn't break the code. He didn't mention there was an election in the brief. He refused to go there. And as a result, the Supreme Court said, well, if you're not going to say it, we're not going to say it. So deny well, he did kind of say that we need this uh, expedited because of this this interest uh, that the public has in a speedy trial, uh, and mm -hmm. uh, we want to either acquit and or convict him. Uh, but I, I will say this. I've actually been very um, glad that Jack Smith has actually 
said on multiple occasions, along with Merrick Garland, the opposite. The election has nothing to do with the rule of law, what his job is, whether he's running. We don't consider that when we do an investigation. And so it would be weird for him to, to contradict himself and come back and say, we are considering the election uh, in, in this time frame. Because I think he has just as good, if not a stronger argument, with the public's interest in a speedy trial and law enforcement, which was argued, by the way, in the immunity arguments about the public interest. I think it was Judge Pan, maybe Judge Childs, who said, look, you might have an interest in, in you know, um, our Article 2 stuff here and, uh, and a strong presidency. But I think that's countervailed. Uh, by the by, the other interests in Article Two, like the the Judge Ludwig amicus brief, we we have a four year vesting, or the the right for law enforcement, and you know uh, things like that. So, I think that that countervailing argument really had an impact. And if you bring the election into it, you are admitting that you're doing this for political reasons. And I don't think anybody would ever want to touch that. I hear you, uh, and. I agree that Jack Smith and Merrick Garland obviously are not motivated by politics. But if you try to kowtow to the folks who are blaming politics for everything, you're not going to get anywhere. You can't persuade the unpersuadable. These guys are claiming politics even in the state case. They say the Biden administration is behind the Fonnie Willis case, which is, of course, ludicrous because that's a state case, or behind the Alvin Bragg case, ludicrous because that's a state case. And then they say, well, Jack Smith and uh, Merrick Garland are doing Biden's bidding. But then, of course, well, Merrick Garland is also prosecuting Biden's son. So is he still doing Biden's bidding or just some of the time? It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> right. But if you if you come out and say, we want to get this done before the election, even though it's whether, you know, Jack Smith would say whether it's a full acquittal or a conviction, all they'll see is that they want a conviction before the election. And that will be shouted from the rooftops uh, by the right wing. So even if he is thinking that, um, I, I don't know that, that there would be a, a tenable way to come out and say, we got to get this done before the election, which we all know we need to to do because, you know, he could have maybe written something about how it's very important for the American people to have an answer, you know, whether he's acquitted or convicted before an election. Now, he said he said that exact same thing, except he took out the before the election part and added the uh, public's interest in a speedy trial, which I think is couched language for <laughs> the public's interest in getting this done before the election. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's pretty cool to say, hey, you got to say the word, say the word, say my name. Say the magic words. <laughs> right. It's like American Pie. Say my name. That's what he was trying to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, I really appreciate your time. Uh, I always appreciate our discussions. I know we'll have you back uh, back on as soon as, uh, you know, maybe one day um, in the next uh, two or three years when we get a Mar-a-Lago case uh, going on, <laughs> on the docket. Uh, perhaps we could have some discussions about something more down in your neck of the woods. But I, I always appreciate uh, your candor and your insight. And uh, everybody will tell everyone where to, where to follow you. Yeah, thank you. Uh, my... Uh, YouTube channel is Dave Ehrenberg FL. Please follow me there. D-A-V-E-A-R-O-N-B-E-R-G-F-L. I'm also on Twitter. I will not say the new name. And that's at Ehrenberg. I'm also on Instagram at Dave Ehrenberg. And uh, threads at Dave Ehrenberg. Oh, and TikTok <laughs> at Dave Ehrenberg. So find me there. Loving that you're doing the YouTube stuff. Absolutely enjoying the videos. Please keep it up. Everybody follow Dave Ehrenberg, my good friend, DA, Palm Beach County. Thank you so much. We will talk to you next time. Thank you. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. It's time for the good news. Who likes good news, everyone? Then good news, everyone. 
Good news, good news. And if you have any good news, confessions, corrections, you want to play what the whatever, what the menagerie, any animal you want to send, we'll just guess what kind of animal it is probably. That's probably our strong suit, honestly, Dana. And not. <laughs> I kind of want a game that's just called, what the fuck is that? So what I want people to just send in pictures of animals or bugs. No, no, no <laughs> bugs. I take that back. But some sort of very spiders exotic animal. Snakes no, no, scorpion. don't listen to the host, please. No spiders, no <laughs> snakes. Just some random exotic animal or like fruit or flower. So H and I can just play. What the fuck is that? 20 questions, right? That's right. <laughs> what the fuck is that? I like it. New game. <laughs> the fuck is that? Or the just fuck the that? fuck. The fuck is that? <laughs> the um, fuck? Yeah. Spelled F-U-Q. The fuck? <laughs> the fuck is that? Awesome. Uh, if you have a shout out to yourself, a loved one, a small business in your area, your small business, your big business. If you want to tell me your dissertation and thesis titles, uh, we would love to hear about any student debt being canceled. Please send that to us. Will be stories, stuffed animal stories, blankie stories, happy places, holiday photos, uh, anything at all. Please send it to us, dailybeanspod.com, and click on contact. First up from Kai, pronounce he and him. Good day to the Beans crew. I do have the cor correct pronunciation for the town in Louisiana that Dana was trying to pronounce. I knew someone would. It's pronounced Geismer. Just think geyser, like what Old Faithful is with an M in the middle. Geismer. I just want to say the reason I said gamer was <laughs> not because of my sexual orientation. It's because it was Louisiana. So I thought French. French Quarter. I thought maybe it was French. And so I got rid of some of the consonants. But thank you very much, Kai, for the correction. <laughs> he goes on to say, mispronouncing town names from Louisiana is a common thing in the podcast world due to the cultural blender that we have. As a Baton Rouge native, it's not unusual for me to shout out the correct pronunciation of a town when I hear it uh, said wrong on a podcast. I have to remind myself not everyone knows how to pronounce towns from my former state of residence. Dana was not the first and certainly won't be the last when it comes to saying the names but it's always nice to hear the good old college try. <laughs> the biggest challenge for people is trying to say, oh, you dick. Okay. <laughs> Na Natchitoches, which is pronounced Nakatish. Of course it is. Of course oh my it goodness. is. And you are now fully prepared to face the day when you see that town's name. No, I will forget, Kai. I will forget. Nakatish. Nakatish. Or is it Nakutish? I mean, they didn't give us a, an emphasis here, but Nakatish maybe. Now, for Pod Pet Tax, I am including our newest family member, Pratt. My wife found him walking around her office building, and when she approached him, he was very calm and didn't run. After calling him and letting me know of her discovery, I had to go retrieve him. Two vet visits later for vaccines and neutering, he's fully part of the family and likes to help daddy when he works. Keep up the excellent work. I look forward to seeing you guys if you ever make it to Kansas City. Nice. Oh. It's a baby tuxedo. Sweet. To pet him. That's so a good much. beard, Kai. Oh, that so is a good cute. beard if this is you. That is a definite. That's a really good beard. Right? Well done. Thank you, Kai. And now I've got it. And now I've got Natchitoches, which is Natchitoches. All right, here we go. There's another one. This is from Cindy, pronouncing her pronunciation correction. Our solicitor general is Elizabeth Prologar. That's probably not it is wickedly competent and a legal force of nature. The pre part is easy. It's close to prey. Prey, oh, okay. Prey, something between prey and prey. The second part, logar, sounds like logger. The beer, oh, prologar. 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 
Prelager. There we go. Prelager. Oh my God. I feel like I'm on Sesame Street on the electric <laughs> company. Prelager. 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 All right. Prelager. 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 Oh boy. Here picks a baby tooth. <laughs> Lost. What is wrong with me right now? I feel like I'm delirious. Here are pics of a baby tooth lost by my foster horse and her and her winter blanket during our recent temps in the minus teens. She was quite feral a few months ago, so it was an accomplishment to get her to wear the blanket and have both the blanket and me survive. Thank you for such an engaging and informative podcast. Good Lord. Look at that horse tooth. It's as big as a quarter. Ugh. That's a baby horse tooth as well. That's a baby horse tooth. Oh, uh-huh. the horse is so sweet. It's a cutie with the blankie. Yes, Cindy, well done with the blankie. I'm really sorry about me butchering your <laughs> correction of, of, of a pronunciation. Prelogger. Prelogger. I'm going to have to Elizabeth Prelogger. All right. Thank you so much. Next up from Anonymous, pronoun she and her. A quick shout out to essential workers. We humans have such short memories for some things. It hasn't been that long since the start of the pandemic and we learned who truly essential workers are, but I feel like we're forgetting. Last week, my night shift cafeteria guys told me they'd had multiple rude comments from shift workers they feed. Really? Have we forgotten so soon how we only got food because the cooks advocated for us? Cooks, delivery drivers, farm workers, cashiers, sanitation workers, etc. are the folks we cannot do without. They are essential and without them, society falls apart. So show some appreciation to an overlooked worker. Let's not forget the people who helped us get through. A shout out to the Beans Queens for the swearing and giggling that keeps us moving forward with most of our sanity. <laughs> Thanks. I love this. this submission. Me too. Yes. Yeah. Here, here to our essential workers. Yeah. Nothing makes my blood boil more than someone being rude <sighs> to an essential worker for just doing their job. Ugh, it infuriates me. All right. This is from John R. Pronouns he and him. Special shout out to my high school best friend, Sean, who was promoted to captain in the U.S. Navy on January 6th of 2024 at the Army Navy Club in D.C. Sean chose the date intentionally as a middle finger to J6 coup and might also add fuck Senator Tommy Tuberville as well. Hmm. I've known Sean since our freshman year together at NJROTC. Sean served on the staff of Senator Max Clayland of Georgia and has worked as a lobbyist in D.C. He had a brief stint in the U.S. Army to pay for college, but 9-11 inspired Sean to seek his commission as a Navy officer, where he has served around the globe with distinction as a public affairs officer. Back in high school, I was uncritical, excuse me, I was an uncritical teen Republican, and Sean was a Democrat recently transplanted from Ohio, who challenged my beliefs and inspired me to read an AP illustrated history of the Vietnam War. It made me realize how much I'd been lied to about the war, and I started reevaluating everything I believed, such that by 1992, I was voting for Bill Clinton and starting a leftward journey that I continue to this day. I'm forever grateful for our friendship and happy that Sean is now a Navy captain. Our core friend circle from NJROTC 1989 drill team all showed up for the occasion, yeah. and we all had a great time catching up and reminiscing. Thanks for all that you do on the Daily Beans and Jack and cleanup to keep us sane and informed in these harrowing times. I love this story, and he looks good in that uniform. What a beautiful family. <laughs> Absolutely. Congrats, Cap'n. And thanks, John. Thank you for that. 
my uh, Bill Clinton was my first election, actually, 92. Nice. I was as with the ripe old age of 18. <laughs> All right. Next up from Jenkins, pronoun she and her. I have a student loan forgiveness story for you. I graduated from high school in 93 and started college in January of 94. Though I'd been a very good student before college, I had a really difficult time getting through. In short, when I wasn't getting straight A's, I was failing and getting put on academic probation because I'd stopped going to class. I did eventually graduate in 2012, but I had no idea why I couldn't seem to get through college as easily as I should have. Why was school so overwhelming and terrifying? Why couldn't I manage it? Fast forward to late 2022 when I was diagnosed as autistic with bonus ADHD at 47 years old. Ah, it makes sense now. Because of my trouble getting through school and my stubborn refusal to stop trying, I ended up with over $60,000 in student loans. After paying for a couple of decades, that became $76,000. Get that? Her debt went up $16,000, even though she paid for two decades. I was sure I would never be able to get ahead in life, uh, especially since, like many autistic people, I'm not the best at negotiating a salary or asking for a raise. The COVID pause gave me some relief, and I was terrified of payments resuming. But thanks to President Biden uh, and his administration and the fact that I was on an income contingent payment plan, my loans have been completely forgiven, all $76,000. Amazing. Now I can concentrate on getting my credit cards paid down, and someday perhaps I'll be able to actually retire. Love listening to you and Dana on the beans, as well as listening to Andy on Jack and Pete on cleanup on L45. Thanks to everyone for being so informative and fun to listen to. Picture of my kitty for Tuxie Tax. Look at the tuxedo. Amazing. Incredible. $76,000. Again, $60,000 in student loans paid for decades and still and owed $17,000 more than when you started. It's, so, it's insane. It's insane. It was set up to hurt students. It's, ugh, it's crazy. All right. This one's from figuring it out. No pronouns given. I'm taking my two kids on a cruise this spring to celebrate starting the next chapter of my life. And as I look through the activities, I realized that for the first time I could hit up the mixers. I saw the singles, then the 40 plus, then I saw the LGBTQ plus and paused. I don't know where I fit. But I now realize, thanks to you, that it's okay not to know. And wherever I go, I'm not taking someone else's spot, but I might just find mine. Oh, man. Goodness. I wish you both the best. And for Pod Pet Tax, I submit Nala and Goose, both 16 plus and living their best lives. You're welcome to what the mutt. You're welcome to what the mutt goose, but your guess is as good as mine. Oh, my God. These pups are so sweet in the sun. Actually, I guess is that one a cat? Yep, that's a cat. <laughs> See, you should have just asked if you could guess what kind of animals these were. I'm like, that's a dog. And what is that other one? Is that a cat? <laughs> I think it's a cat. It looks like a cat. Oh, my eh, God. Sometimes cat, this shit child. comes out of my mouth and I'm like, did you just say that out loud, Dana? <laughs> yep. Sure did. Sure, sure did. Oh. Uh, looks like a little bit of schnauzer and lab, maybe. I don't know. But adorable is what is what this dog is. Absolutely. And you know what? Figuring it out. Have a blast on the cruise with your kids. 
I actually love that. Um, I was sort of shocked by that too. I, as you know, I work for a cruise company uh, sometimes, um, either with our family or Olivia. And on our family, uh, they usually get like a group and take it on what they would call the mainstream cruises. So like Alaska or the Caribbean, and we have our own little, you know, safe pod in, in the middle of all this, but it's really cool that even outside of our group, the cruises are now having the LGBTQ plus mixers because they're realizing there's so many different families out there. Um, it's smart of them. It is smart of them to have this and it just feels nice to be recognized. So wherever you end up and whatever mixer you end up and have a blast with the cruise, have a blast with your kids on it and just go make some wonderful memories. I love that. I don't know where I fit, but I now realized that it's okay not to know. And wherever I go, I'm not taking someone else's spot, but I just might find mine like, oh gosh. I know. That's what got me all teary, that, that line right there. Ooh. Ooh, buddy. Thank you, everybody, for sending these in. Please send us your good news stories. Uh, you can do it at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. Um, thanks for your overwhelming RSVPs to our uh, April 20th DC gathering. Um, don't worry if you don't get selected. I, I just got word today we're going to be coming to, let's see, New York, Philly, Boston, Chicago, uh, Seattle, probably Portland. I might even be coming out to the UK. Uh, and as patrons, you always get first crack pre-sale and VIP and premium seating and, up, you know, the VIP meet and greets where we have cocktails and mocktails right before the show at the venue. And I'm looking so forward to this. I haven't been on stage, Dana, since 2019. Well, except wow. a, couple sh a couple shows after the pandemic <laughs> when, when Improv and Laugh Factory and the comedy store were like, come back and do shows. So I did a couple and I was like, nah. Um, but I, I miss it and I can't wait to see y'all on the road and I can't wait to see you in April. And I know yeah. Dana, you've got some uh, amazing shows coming up too. I do. I've got a couple, actually I've got Florida this Sunday. I can't believe it's already coming up. Oh my up. God, wait. that's so fast. Yeah. Oh my God, it is. Uh, so if you're, if you got tickets for Tampa, I cannot wait to see you. And if you haven't, you're in the Tampa area, you're listening to this, there's still tickets available. It's a four o'clock at the Tampa. It used to be the, um, improv. It's now the funny bone. So make sure that you've got the right place. And then I've got a show, um, on March 8th in Bend, Oregon. So if you're anywhere in central Oregon, I would love to have you there. Tickets are available on my website, danagoldberg.com. And some of you are going to be spending my birthday with me in Fort Lauderdale in April. And between now and then I have about eight different galas for three different organizations. So everything's on my website and I hope to see you at one of them. Yes. Website, what, danagoldberg.com. Yeah. danagoldberg.com. That's where you go to buy the tickets. Everybody, thank you so much. We'll be back in your ears tomorrow with some more solid numbers on New Hampshire. I just looked. We don't really have anything coming back yet. So we'll talk more about it tomorrow. And uh, until then, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. Take care of your family. Vote blue over Q. And take everyone you know with you. I've been AG. And I've been DG. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. And the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, 
comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA. As a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler... How much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary... They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, show me in a courtroom how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing in the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th, or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now.